Hi there, it's Melvin. Just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Thryzer for supporting this month's podcast sessions. Thryzer is a payment platform that you have to check out if you are a private pay therapist and accepting out-of-network benefits. It basically helps clients save on therapy up front. Thryzer can help verify a client's out-of-network benefit ahead of the first session so that they get transparency up front on what their out-of-pocket costs will be. I'll tell you more about Thryzer here in the middle of our session, but if you go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, you actually end, then enter the code STC upon sign up, you get your first $2,500 in fees waived. Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, and be sure to enter the promo code STC. So we'll jump right into today's podcast session. Hello, hello. Welcome to session 289 of Selling the Couch. I hope that you're doing awesome and uh, having a good day. So today's podcast conversation is on one of my most favorite topics, which is sleep. I shared this in the interview, but like how I think about sleep has changed so much over the years. Uh, you know, it's interesting it through like, and we, we dive this in a bit more into this in, in our actual conversation. My guest today is Dr. Liz Slonena. And Liz is a therapist, a psychologist down in Asheville, North Carolina. And Liz has an expertise in in sleep and insomnia. And I wanted to have Liz on the podcast because I know that this is a topic that is relevant for many of us, especially with telehealth, where the boundaries between personal and professional are getting like more and more blurred. I know that there's so much pandemic stressors, whether it is worries about, you know, not being able to be vaccinated. If you have a kiddo, you know, worries about your kiddo not being vaccinated, going back to school, like all of these different things, right? All of these things that can impact our quality of sleep. I wanted to do this episode because I just felt like sometimes it's really good to get back to the basics and think through things. And so Liz and I are actually going to talk about why quality sleep matters for us as clinicians. We're going to start out by Liz giving the two-minute version of what exactly happens during a normal sleep cycle. And then we get into this really fascinating conversation around hustle culture and capitalism and how these sort of emphases really impact how we see sleep. And I share a little bit about, you know, my own journey in this episode about, you know, how a lot of this has been impacted by that, especially as a, as a person of color. And then we wrap up with this conversation just with really some practical tips on how you can improve your sleep, particularly as therapreneur, as a clinician, business owner, some of the things that you can do. And Liz has some great ideas in terms of routines and things like that, that I think you will find really helpful. I wanted to invite you to download the free online course guide if you are thinking about launching an online course and just want some things that have been helpful uh, for me and some of the tough lessons that I learned along the way. You can again download that over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course guide. 
And as I mentioned right at the beginning, we're actually starting a live cohort called Online Course School. This is a great opportunity to join with other therapists to validate and launch and record your online course. The best way to find out about this and to keep updated when the cohort launches is to download, again, the online course guide over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course guide. So we'll get right to today's podcast conversation. Here is my conversation with Dr. Liz Slodnena from drlizlistens.com. Hey, Liz, welcome to Selling the Couch. Hi, Melvin. I'm so glad that we've finally been able to connect. I'm really excited for this conversation because sleep is like one of my favorite topics. I'm a power napper. I literally take a 25 minute nap seven days a week. And uh, yeah, I just, it's been just so helpful. And even thinking through how I think about sleep as I've gotten older, and then like even what we teach our little one with regard to sleep, you know? So I'm just really looking forward to this conversation and grateful for our time together. Right. And I'm so happy for the invitation to be here. And I just want to say, I'm really jealous that you can actually be a power napper. I can't, (laughs) it's just not in my genes. Yeah. It's been a lot of practice that, you know, uh, Susan, my partner says the same thing. She's like, I don't know how you fall asleep in like two minutes. And I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) Everyone has their talents. (laughs) Yeah, I guess that's mine. Right. So, um, I was wondering if you could give us like the two minute version of what happens during like a normal uh, sleep cycle. Certainly. So each night, your body and mind take a roller coaster ride through various phases of sleep. And contrary to popular belief, your brain and body are very active during sleep. So the overall, there's four stages of sleep, and we can split them up by two different forms. There's non-REM and then REM sleep and REM standing for rapid eye movement. So non-REM has three stages. There's light sleep, then going into restful sleep, then going into deep sleep. And then there's REM movement, which most people kind of remember as the rapid eye movement, having the most vivid dreams and is really responsible for re-energizing your mind, energy conservation, and most importantly, especially for us, memory consolidation, learning and problem solving. And so we cycle through all these stages, one, two, three, and then REM on repeat. And each stage takes approximately 90 minutes. And an ideal night of sleep is going through four to five cycles um, for 90 minute cycles. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's, and that's, there's so much good stuff already there. So these, there's three stages of non-REM and then there's this one stage of REM and does it always go in like a like a order like that or does it ever skip from like like light to deep to it always goes through those phases and cycle through them and that's where like normal sleep and kind of healthy versus unhealthy sleep come into progress of being like the light sleep um we actually spend 45 to 55 percent of our sleeping time here um and this is evolutionary beneficial because if you're able to kind of wake up in the middle of night or fight off a saber toothed tiger, you can, um, or respond to a crying baby or a, you know, unhappy puppy or something of that sort. And so we go through these stages and that, um, it really is helpful to actually have light sleep rather than being deep sleep and not being able to wake up, let's say with a fire alarm going off. Yeah. Yeah. So, right. It is, it is amazing. Like how evolution and 
how our bodies are wired, right? Like, for example, yeah, if we were like in deep sleep or REM sleep, like all night, you know, yeah, we wouldn't be able to like account for certain things. And yeah, it, it, it is fascinating. So we go through these cycles and, and you started to talk a little bit about it. So you said normal, you go through like this one cycle, right? Like four times, right? Uh, and then I guess what's sort of the opposite of it? I mean, someone that may not have sort of a, a normal cycle, what would that even look like? I mean, I know that can vary depending on circumstance situation, but like kind of like a ballpark, What what is that? How is it different? Sure. And it's really the amount of time that you spend in each cycle. So if there are disruptions, whether it's emotional, physical, sound-based, it can bump you out of, let's say, a light stage of sleep or a deep stage of sleep. And this can create some interesting effects of how you feel when you are awakened and shortened and condensed. So for example, disrupted sleep, maybe a lot of folks experience this where they're just tossing and turning. They're like right on that cusp, but not being able to feel like they're actually asleep. A terrible place to be, and that's light sleep. And so at this stage, if you are woken up, you may feel like you haven't slept at all. And this is where I see a lot of my kind of insomnia folks that they're like, oh, I don't get any sleep whatsoever. Lo and behold, you are. It's just not that restorative, deep sleep that you're getting. Yeah. And then, well, I mean, even practically, I, I remember, I mean, so we have a, a three-year-old and I remember the first, especially the first year, uh, because I, I think one on top of it, you know, cause she was a preemie, right? So like developmentally, everything was sort of like eight weeks delayed. Right. And so it felt like those like night wakings were just kept going and going and going. Right. But I remember just, oh my gosh, like waking up and feeling so exhausted. And then I noticed, I don't, I mean, I realize as I get older and I'm curious, like I notice, like my mood is significantly affected by the quality of my sleep. Like I'm a different person. Like I'm more irritable, more anxious, like. Yeah. And I mean, sleep and mood, there's so much research that supports they are interconnected. And most importantly, like you mentioned, the quality sleep being more important than the quantity of sleep. So we want that deep, restorative, deep delta wave sleep uh, that is really responsible for immune functioning, repair and regeneration of tissues, neurogenesis and muscle growth. But really as far as kind of like the interesting thing about deep sleep, if we're not getting it, this is kind of like the washing cycle of our brain and body. Um, that it removes the toxins um, and just all the waste products that being kind of like negative cognitions or things that are not really helpful to remember by. And if we don't get that deep restorative sleep, we are going to feel really crummy, not at our best, irritable, snapping, or, I mean, when it comes to problem solving and even working memory, that can completely tank if you're not getting good quality sleep. Yeah. All of which happened. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> So again, this might be a really silly question. So when you're saying like deep restorative sleep, are you referring to like the, that stage of non-REM sleep, a deep stage, or is it more like deep quality sleep at each of these levels? Yeah, that's a great question. So deep kind of restorative sleep is deep delta wave sleep. So if you want to get really kind of neurosciencey, stage three and four of the sleep cycle, where again, your brain slows down where it's like lowest delta waves and you want those. This is where the, all the healing, regeneration and muscle repair happens during this stage. Mm. That's cool. 
Yeah, I just, I mean, one, I love talking about this stuff. And uh, yeah, I just, it is so interesting. I feel like, and this is where I sort of wanted to shift our conversation to. So I feel like, you know, for us as clinicians, one, in terms of like what we share with our clients, but more, I think also equivalently, like as business owners, right? Like sleep is such a vital part. I'm realizing this uh, a lot, you know, and I don't know, just, I, I think you will appreciate this because uh, you're like a sleep nerd. Yes, definitely. <laughs> but like, I, you know, I start, you know, I like spend a lot of time, like, you know, watching videos, reading stuff on like elite sort of performers, you know, typically athletes. And it's really interesting how things have like shifted to like, you know, for example, like NBA players, like how much they emphasize sleep. Uh, whereas like, I feel like, you know, maybe, 20, 30 years ago, it might have been a bigger emphasis on like getting like workouts in, you know? So it is really fascinating. I wanted, I was just wondering if you could sort of, you know, when we were talking and, and maybe we get before we get into this section, but we were talking before and you said, you know, sleep is one of those interesting things, especially when you intersect it with entrepreneurship and we live in this sort of hustle culture and there's all sorts of things around privilege and, you know, and patriarchy and all of this stuff. And I like would love like your thoughts on this. Cause I, even when you articulated, I was like, man, like something connected for me. And I was like, man, I never thought of it quite that way. And part of it, I think is because I'm just sort of living it, you know? Right. Yes. And so what I really think is perpetuating our sleep difficulties um, is this concept of internalized capitalism. And it's this theory and this idea that our self-worth is directly linked to our productivity. So us as a human being, being a producer, uh, our worth is how much we produce. And so this really takes away and you can feel as if you can't value yourself by just being alive, by just being a human being that is breathing and being but that it's like this societal expectation, especially in entrepreneurship, that you have to be a human doing, to have any value, to stand out, to be something. And this can create so much difficulty with you know sleep of always being on the go, of hustle, hustle, hustle. And especially for therapists out there, or, um, therapreneurs, the hustle mentality is can, can be pretty toxic sometimes. And it's really real. Just noticing the pressure and expectation that in order to be successful, uh, even as a therapist, you got to do all the things. That being like stand out on social media, have a pretty website, have an online course, write a book, make it do a podcast. There's just so much on that on top of seeing clients, if you even do that anymore. It's just way too much. And if you think about how many hours, you know, of sleep that take up in an hour, like 24 hours, you want to get like seven to eight, sometimes nine. And where else do you fit everything else in? And that's where sleep is the first thing to go, which is really sad because like you're alluding to, sleep is a superpower. It helps us be at our best, feel our best, show up for our family our best. And it's the first thing that we trim off or kind of cut away that really to our being and to our human functioning too is a huge detriment. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it is. It, it is like so fascinating because I mean, even just even, I don't know, it's maybe just a byproduct of news or whatever, but even last year without like naming names, like I've seen things like, you know, basically 
sleep is something you can sacrifice in order to accomplish whatever, right? Like sleep is sort of this thing that gets in the way of productivity, you know? Uh, it is. And I, I do, I completely agree. Like it's such a, it's such a, I don't know, it's like a toxic way of looking at, you know, looking at things because there's a sense of like, you're never happy or content with who you are. Uh, and, and then I think the other side of this is, and this is honestly something I've struggled with is, which is you put so much of your self-worth on your accomplishments and then you quickly realize, like, as soon as you accomplish something that doesn't fulfill you in the way that you thought it would, right? So you, your brain sort of is like, oh, what's the next thing I got to do, you know, to get that feeling back? Itch you can't stretch or even like a, a hungry ghost that just wants more and more and more and more and nothing is satisfied. It's just a black hole. And Sure, you can achieve as much as you want, but I think it's it's very curious that with some private practice owners or therapists or entrepreneurs out there, they leave their nine to five or agency jobs to work less and live more. But isn't it interesting that they inadvertently end up working more and sleeping less? Right. Yeah, it is super fascinating. And I think one of the challenges of entrepreneurship is that because it doesn't have a finite end, Right. Uh, I think that especially, and I know for many of us, like we're wounded healers, right? So, you know, I, I think when you couple those two things together, it's just, it makes for such like skewed ways of looking at things, you know? Exactly. And if we want to take it one step deeper of making it this wholesale culture, internalized capitalism, very like icky and gross, is that uh, some scholars argue that, you know, this internalized capitalism and white supremacy are inherently linked where the system kind of permits and even encourages exploitation of marginalized groups and especially people of color. For example, there's a terrible narrative of everyday racism that BIPOC individuals are lazy. However, you know, for example, black people built this entire country for free and this is at the core root of white supremacy and getting free labor um, to build and build and build. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Like so, so well said. And yeah, and it, it is fascinating how these ideas have been like cemented and like further strengthened by generation after generation. And it's almost like if you do the thing that logically seems healthy and rational, it's almost like you then feel the weight of multiple generations of, you know, of stereotypes and perspectives and all of those different things. Right. And there's so much of a impetus to, to change that or the, the weight of your world, weight of your ancestors to change that or make a difference or impress. Um, and it's, it's kind of a, a terrible burden to bear yeah absolutely um even like even just sharing a little bit like you know for me like and i shared this personally with you before we started you know one of the most challenging things for me i think being in just with the position of influence that i have is like trying you know, I've shared this on the podcast with you guys a little bit, but, you know, I, 
my, you know, my parents immigrated here in the late eighties, uh, from India and I, you know, I'm, I'm the oldest in my family. And I remember like, you know, my, my dad, like working at like Walmart in the, um, in the warehouse in the back, you know, and my dad was an attorney in India, but his law degree didn't transfer over. So he had to do that. And then he had to, uh, like clean bed linens at the County hospital, uh, just to kind of make, make ends meet while my mom was, you know, uh, studying for a nursing exam and then, you know, was fortunately able to pass. But I remember just getting instilled this sort of thing. And it wasn't always like directly communicated, but like just this idea that, you know, like I had to work harder, you know, because like this isn't like truly your home, you know, and uh, you got to like, you have to show it through your work that you belong here, you know? Right. And that hits so hard and deep that as work hard and succeed to find salvation, but you end up just like working, working, working and just spinning your wheels. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's been, yeah. And, and I can't imagine, I mean, to your point, like for so many of like black folks in our community or black colleagues, like that sort of, I mean, that burden that they have is like a different, it's just such a different level that, you know, even as like another as like a person of color, even I cannot understand, you know? Um, but yeah, it's just, I'm glad you'd really articulated that well. So. And it really does encourage this. If you want to just, you know, put the middle finger to white supremacy and internalize capitalism, take a rest, take a break and really rebel against this hustle culture of having to do, do, do to prove your worth. That rest truly is radical Rest is empowering and rest is rebellion against this, you know, toxic mentality. You know, I made a, you know, we have a daughter who's three and and when she was born, uh, we made a, you know, big decision that, you know, I was not going to work on Fridays because we wanted to do daddy daughter days. Right. And it's much better now, but for the first two years, I really struggled with like, and I could, if I could just have that extra eight hours, you know, I could bring in more revenue. I could do more stuff on the business. And then like, I look back now, you know, like last week, you know, we, we go to this like farm, which is more like a garden than a farm, but uh, we do this on every Friday. And I'm just like, you know, like all the money in the world could not like replace these experiences, you know, seeing the joy on her face as she, you know, runs through this garden and, all of these things. And it, it's such a different, and what I found myself is this tension in my mind of like seeing these experiences and realizing like no money could replace this. And yet feeling at a societal level, right. As like, am I doing enough? You know, should I be doing? More? Yeah. That, and that goes straight to my heart too. That, that kind of duality of I, these moments together, they're priceless. You can't put a price tag to it. And a little voice in the back of your head being like, but you could be doing more. And it's just so fascinating where, you know, where did that little voice come from? And in a way of shifting towards rather than either or finding peace, where can balance live? How can you be there for your family, for your friends and actually live and enjoy life while actually having a successful kind of business as well? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I forgot where I heard this, but like, this has been like one of my mantras this year, which is like optimizing my life for sleep. Um, and I just feel like I, I don't know, I it just, it's made such a world of difference because I, I mean, <laughs> my partner 
Susan will be like, you're like, <laughs> you're like 80 years old. You're some of your habits, but like I'm in bed by like 845. Cause I, you know, I like to get up at five and I take my power naps, but this is like every, like seven days a week, 365 days a year. This is what I do. Like, you know, unless, um, unless, you know, a uh, little one's ill or something, but like, uh, I wanted to ask you and maybe sort of wrap up with this, but three sort of like practical tips on improving sleep, uh, particularly as clinicians. And, you know, we've, we as clinicians, I think have had to deal with so much, right. Especially in the midst of this pandemic, our own grief and anxieties and fears with this pandemic on top of, you know, seeing so many clients who are bringing in these things. Right. And what, what can we, what can we, what can you share with us and what can we do? Sure. I'm happy to share. First and foremost, one tip would be clearly communicate boundaries with your clients and colleagues via email and uh, through all these things, because we really want to have consistency in what our actual designated business hours are. So either the automated email of saying when you respond to emails, including into your signature, your business hours and times to call, this was really helpful reminding on an ongoing basis, just so that when you are off the clock of whatever hour it is, you can truly be off the clock rather than you know responding to one last email or call at like eight o'clock on a Saturday. It just really makes things like a very great system to smoothly transition from work to play to life. Yeah. I feel like boundaries are such a vital part of this. Absolutely. And I think this is something that I've had to learn as well. I don't, I don't think I'm by any means perfect at it, but again, like you know, I know that a lot of clinicians, they're sort of like solopreneurs, right? And they're then having to manage like, you know, calling back and all of these things. So I guess in a scenario like that, right? Like, do you have any tips? Like, you know, let's say a client calls outside of hours and, you know, like what's the, I don't know, what are protocols? What would, you know, what's worked for you? I'm so glad you brought this up because, hey, I'm still learning too, but what I found is really helpful in demonstrating healthy boundaries too, is that I say on my voicemail and my emails that my hours of operation are nine to five, Monday through Friday, no weekends, unless an emergency, and expect a 48-hour response time to either calls or emails. And I say, Friday is my admin day. So you'll most likely receive the quickest response by then. And for those things have been really helpful of streamlining. And I really get it if I get like an email of psychology today or someone really wants to work with you, blah, blah, blah. It is really tempting, but it's like, okay, I'm, I'm off the clock. This email can wait until tomorrow. And it's amazing of like being able to schedule those things. You actually maximize your time more efficiently when you are at work and being able to be fully off, um, off the clock can enjoy your life even more. Yeah, that's a great way of looking. I mean, it reminds me of like one of the things that you shared earlier um, in the conversation, how like in these like sleep cycles, like so much of this is like there's periods where your body needs to like uh, regenerate, you know, and and setting those boundaries, I think with time, I think it kind of allows that same thing, right? It allows our brains to kind of rest and say like, Hey, you know, it's like I'm off clock and kind of rest so that when you do come back, you're more just present and more, you know, just better be able to, you know, serve those that, you know, we're all meant to serve. So. Right. And with that, an another tip that I would love to share too is 
in addition to boundaries of really clearly demarcating when is work time, when is, you know, a relaxation time, is having a wind down ritual to signal from your body and mind that you are truly off the clock. And this really allows you to complete the stress cycle. And I highly encourage to make your ritual, whatever it is to bookmark and close that chapter of the day of work, make it physical because making it physical promotes safety and gives your body and mind permission to relax. And with telehealth blurring the lines of our work and home, and my goodness, I'm, I'm just standing in front of my computer like the whole entire day, it can be really tempting um, that, that there's no commute time as much anymore. There's no areas of transition to decompress. And we need to create those times instead of just shutting down your laptop and walking to your living room or kitchen. One of the things that I love to do is to write down three of your most important tasks for tomorrow and just put it up to the side and then dance, dance it out or shake it out or even do like 20 squats, something to be like, okay, I've successfully like fought the bear of uh, all the work today and I'm safe. Yeah. It's so fascinating, like how our bodies are wired for like routine, right? And yeah, I love the idea of, so it's the idea of like doing something physical, particularly because like for therapists, especially like we're doing something that's so like intellectually stimulating, like is that sort of, I'm curious about that. Right. You got it. And just thinking about, I don't know about you, but do a lot of sitting. And even though I have a stand-up desk, do a lot of sitting. And it's a wonderful kind of anti-anxiety and anti-burnout trick of your body needs to move to feel like you've successfully overcome a threat and you've achieved something. And if we are sitting still, how many hours of a day in front of a computer, your mind and doesn't really recognize that, hey, you are safe. There isn't this threat. And our threats are no longer saber-toothed tigers anymore, but email that I haven't responded to or, you know, technology issues, which don't have a clear ending. So we need to like trick our bodies and minds that, Hey, we ran from the fight and we have come out successful. That's awesome. Um, Liz, what would be the final tip that you could share with us? Ooh, I would have to say is rate a gratitude or win list before bed. This is one of my favorites and kind of goes against the kind of internalized capitalism of trying to find something that you are just inherently proud of, uh, that you inherently feel good about. Just because their you know, research says that doing a gratitude list for 13 days significantly enhances positive mood and well-being and deeper sleep too. So it's like a all-in-one great skill to do. And I personally love doing this, of sharing it with my partner before we go to sleep of just one you know, good thing that has happened today or something that made you happy. What are you grateful for? And doing that right before bed uh, really helps create some positive precognitions to launch into sleep too, rather than ruminating before you go to bed. So awesome. Yeah, this is, um, I'm glad you said that because this is something I started doing in my, as part of my night routine. So I use, um, uh, what is it? Uh, I'm like forgetting the name of this journaling app, uh, journal one, something like that. I have to look it up, but they have a, a, a five minute like journal routine. And, and yeah, the main section is like three things that you're grateful for. And then we usually do quiet time as a family after I do my journaling. And one of the things that we started incorporating is the same thing. Uh, Susan and I will share like two things that we are grateful for 
And yeah, it is really interesting. It makes you, there's like such a pause, right, to your life. And you're like, man, you know, like, despite so many things that are going on that are hard, right, there are a lot of things to just be grateful for. Yeah, to even say and hearing you say that, it just warms my heart. You can't see it, but I'm smiling so big right now, just hearing those beautiful rituals of connecting with your family on a daily basis. And it can make such a difference for your mood and well-being. Yeah, that's awesome. Liz, I'm just so grateful for you. Grateful for our knowledge. I can't believe the time just flew by. Please do let us know. I know you're working on a lot of different things doing, you know, I know you have such a passion. So do let us know what you're working on and uh, let us know how we can uh, get in touch with you. Great. Yeah, there's a lot going on, which I'm happy to explore. So you can best find me at my website, which is www.drlizlistens.com, all one word. And I'll be releasing a Become a Better Sleeper course and podcast here soon. And don't have to wait right now. Um, If you want to experience deep relaxation, I'm offering free mindful hypnosis videos, uh, both on my YouTube name is at your Zen within relax with Dr. Liz. And I'm also very active on Facebook and Instagram. So you can follow me there at dr.lizlistens. And this is for relatable content. I post a lot of therapy memes, especially sleep memes, because there's such good ones out there. And if you DM me with uh, the hashtag STC, I'll give you a special code to gain premium access to Aura, which is an all-in-one wellness app um, that has exclusive mindful hypnosis tracks. I'm going to be launching a um, cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia series on there to really train your brain to become a better natural sleep. Awesome. Grateful, uh, Liz. I'm really grateful that you would do that for our community and uh, just, yeah, grateful for you and doing you're doing such amazing work in the world and uh, grateful for our time. Thank you so much. This warms my heart. I'm so happy to be here. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Hey there. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Liz. And especially if you are a sleep nerd like us and or if you're just in a season where you're kind of realizing, hey, I really need to optimize my sleep so that I can be a better business owner. I hope that today's podcast session has just been really helpful for you. Uh, as I shared on the the podcast episode, I am learning a lot about just sleep. And there's a great book that I'm reading by Matt Walker called Why We Sleep. And uh, it's just, it's a fascinating look at like the science of sleep. And just we're learning so many things about like the benefits of sleep, right? All the way, it's beyond just like resting our bodies, right? There's just so much like r- repair sort of things that happen. And I feel like I don't know. I don't know if this is like a crazy image or whatever, but as, you know, small business owners, I almost think of us as like elite level athletes, you know, and part of like, I feel like becoming a good business owner means that we sort of optimize different facets of our life and sort of optimize our schedules. And, uh, you know, I shared this on the actual conversation, but I actually had some, like, I remember when I actually, this was a, a, you know, like, gosh, a couple of years ago now, when I did a solo episode uh, on STC about like power naps and why I, I take naps, I remember feeling such like weird stigma around it, like sharing that episode, like, gosh, would you think like I'm lazy or I don't work hard or any of these different things? And 
I don't know, it's just so interesting to share like and see how my own perspective on sleep has changed, you know? And I think it's exactly what I shared. You know, I really try, you know, there's two things now what I really try to do. I try to optimize my schedule for sleep and then I try to optimize my schedule around like self-care. And I feel like once I, self-care slash family time, and I feel like once, and those are like starting to be like non-negotiables for me. And what I've realized is, well, a fear that I had was if I optimized around sleep and if I optimized around uh, like self-care and family time, I wouldn't be able to get as much stuff done when I was working. But what I've actually found is the exact opposite, that I actually have like reserves of energy where I can get like a ton of stuff done that normally would have taken me hours and hours, but I can just do it like so much more efficiently uh, in a finite amount of time and then still like respect those boundaries and, and time around family and all of those different things. Liz mentioned a number of different uh, resources. Uh, you can find that over at drlizlistens.com is Liz's website again. And you can also find all of that on the show notes page, which is actually just connected to this podcast. If you just if you're listening on a phone, for example, and you just hit that description section for this episode, uh, it will have all of the things that are listed. I wanted to invite you to download the free online course guide if you are thinking about launching an online course and just want some things that have been helpful uh, for me and some of the tough lessons that I learned along the way. You can again download that over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course guide. And as I mentioned right at the beginning, we're actually starting a live cohort called Online Course School. This is a great opportunity to join with other therapists to validate and launch and record your online course. The best way to find out about this and to keep updated when the cohort launches is to download, again, the online course guide over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course guide. Have a great rest of your day and I will see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com. So if you've been listening to the STC podcast for a while or you've been listening to podcasts and you've had this thought of, Mel, I would love to launch my own podcast in order to grow my business, just wanted to encourage you to check out our free podcasting workshop, which is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop. You can basically sign up at a day and a time that works for you. It's 90 minutes. And when I do these workshops or when I record them, I truly believe in the quality teaching, so it's going to be well worth your time. We're going to go through gear recommendations and how to launch strategically and how to think about monetizing your podcast and how to line up your podcast with your existing offers and how to do it strategically and authentically uh, and not salesy and slimy um, and all of those things. So again, the link is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop.